So we finish up Job on Easter Sunday. Uh, so this is our last uh, kind of message before then. Uh, so we're going to go to the New Testament. Now, some of you that maybe haven't been around, haven't been coming, uh, just maybe you're visiting, uh, you can go online. We archive our messages, but we've been going through a study in the book of Job. A lot of people misunderstand the book. It's not a book trying to give explanation to why bad things happen to good people. It's not a book to try to explain suffering. Uh, a lot of people miss that. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle. It's a war that's going on. It's about the integrity of God that's on the line. Job doesn't know that. He thinks it's all about him, but there's a real enemy that's assaulting him, kills his children, destroys everything he owns. I mean, he's literally at the bottom. I, I don't know of another human being that's ever, other than the Lord Jesus, there's never been anybody that suffered like Job did. I mean, the losses to have boils and, and worms and, and, and just agony, and he's on a dunghill of, of the ash dump of the city. I mean, just he's lower than lower than low. It doesn't mean that if you're not like this massive sufferer that you can't get anything out of Job. But, you know, sometimes it's a compilation of a lot of different problems and trials that all pile up. And, and it, it's not about don't feel that you need Jesus because you're not that bad suffering. Uh, we all go through hard times and varying degrees. And so it's not like Job's trying to one-up us and say, well, you think that's a problem. Let me show you what, I, you know. So no, he's a model to us on how to endure hard times, and you're going to go through them. My misnomer was when I gave my heart to Jesus that the hard times are over and the good times are here. Hallelujah. And so all of a sudden I realized I've got a real enemy that wasn't excited that I gave my heart to Jesus. And I've got real battles and temptations and trials and, and, and it's, it's a war that we're in. So the book of James and the New Testament is the only book in the New Testament that mentions Job. He does it with one verse, but this one verse will help give you a key to understanding the whole book of Job and his story. So James is writing to a lot of Christians that are suffering persecution, going through hardship. He's encouraging them. He, as we're going through in our small group series, there's a lot of similarities between what James is teaching and Job goes through uh, in, his, in his world. And so I want to jump in chapter 5 in the book of James, verse 10, to give you the context. We're going to look at verse 11. Verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, and the word patience isn't just like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, come on, all right, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to blow my horn at the light. You know, it's green, but they haven't moved yet. That, that's an ongoing challenge. You know, to me, it's a right, it's the justice thing. You blow the horn. Other people, mercy triumphs, and it's like, give them mercy. I'm like, no, blow the horn. I want people to blow the horn at me, which really isn't true because if someone blows the horn at you and you're embarrassed and you realize it, you're not happy. You're not like, thank you. I'm happy. You embarrassed me. It's just what end you're on. So I'm on the blow horn end, and I, I feel that's justice, but when they blow it at me, not so much. That's rudeness. They were rude. I was moving just not quick enough. Brothers and sisters, as an example of endurance would be a better word here. And patience is okay, but it's not like, endurance means that, that fortitude that doesn't give up. It's, it's the backbone of faith. It's the, the, the I'm committed, I'm going to stick this out, come hell or high water. This is what Job has. But he's going to first suggest that we have an example of those that have shown that in the face of suffering 
the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In other words, it was because of the word of God that preached word that they suffered for their, the things that they said. And so he's holding up a hero as the Bible does. The Bible holds up a lot of heroes for us. And all of them are flawed. There's no hero but Jesus in the Bible that wasn't flawed. They all have you know, failures and weaknesses. And, and, but I would just suggest this. In our culture, we have a tendency to celebrate a lot of heroes, but very few of them are the right heroes. Now, again, don't hear what I don't say. All right? I'm, I'm not, I, I'm a, I love my country. I, I, I love those that have fought for our country. Uh, I love those that protect our country. But I'm going to tell you this. There's, th that's not the only heroic path of a life that could be surrendered in something of meaningful purpose, as in following Jesus in the kingdom of God. We have a tendency that we can celebrate with medals and honors and days and victories. And, you know, and we're grateful for those that have made sacrifices in that regards. But we tend to forget there's a different sacrifice that's been made that's really the basis of why we have the freedoms that we do anywhere, and that's the power of the presence of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of the Lord. You can't always look at people in the kingdom of God and tell who they are in the spirit. It takes a spirit of revelation, a discernment. For example, my wife and I, we moved to Sanibel in 1979 and had a little baby Kelly with us that just led us in worship. And I, one of my favorite pictures, we're standing out in front of the First Baptist Church of Sanibel, and I'm holding little baby Kelly, and I got my bride sitting beside me who looks just like she did then. She looks like that now. You'd look at me and go, did she find another husband? <laughs> you married some old fat guy. What happened to that old? The other guy must have not, you know, didn't make him, didn't make the cut. So... We came there in 1979. The reason we came there was there was a little old lady named Miriam Johnson who wore hair in a bun, long dress. They lived on Captiva on the beach right down the road from Tween Waters, if you're familiar with that, since 1906. Miriam was part of a little prayer group that met with three, four women who cried out to Jesus. And they said, God, send us a pastor that is full of the Holy Spirit. Send us a pastor that'll preach the gospel. I was the ninth pastor in the life of the church, and the church was less than 20 years old. So that tells you that most of them didn't make it more than two years. My wife and I stayed there 17 years. The reason we did is because of people like Miriam. If you saw her in the natural, you'd think, yeah, she's an older lady. She's just very soft-spoken. But if you see her in the spirit, like I took a pastor there one time, a visiting guest speaker, very well-known, and to our world that we were in, we went up in fellowship with Miriam. And at the end of our talk, and Belton, her husband, Captain Belton Johnson, he uh, took President uh, Roosevelt out uh, fishing. I mean, he just was the salt of the earth. And we got to go, and, and my friend looked at the, Miriam and said, would you lay hands and pray on me? He said, I've never asked another human being to do that. But I can discern you're a warrior of God in the kingdom. She wasn't loud. She wasn't bragging. She didn't, you know, carry around a 40-pound Bible. She just glowed with Jesus. If she was a veteran in the Army or Marine, she would have a chest full of medals of sacrificing, of crying out to God when nobody saw it. Acts of valor, purple hearts, wounded, 
stood her ground on that island through pastor after pastor that didn't it just, she stood her ground. She's a warrior. I just want to say to us, let's make sure we celebrate the eternal things that are going to make a difference eternally and, 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 and not just celebrate things that are physical and and, and, and natural. And, and it doesn't diminish that. We can, we can do both. But I'll never forget the day that, that we were at a conference and the pastor was preaching and he said, I want to challenge you parents to, 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 to ask God, how many of you would ask God to take one of your children and send them to the mission field? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I wonder how many of you have cried out to God, said, God, take one of my children or grandchildren do something with them in your kingdom that's radical. Send them somewhere like your grandson's going. I don't know if you asked God to send him there or not, but he, he's where your son, Rick, he's going to help translate the Bible in, where is it? Where is it? Don't know where that is, but it's, a, it's an Arabic north of Turkey. It's, it's not necessarily a safe place. But I'm going to tell you right now, you can break your neck playing football. You want to dedicate your kid to be a sports star. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's going to last about high school, maybe college. But what he's doing, Asher's doing, he's going to make a difference in the world forever. So pray for your children to have a destiny in the kingdom of God. And, you know, and, and, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be, you know, wow, what kind of parent would let their child go to? If you said Asher signed up for the Marines and he's going over here, they'd say, oh, he's a hero. He's a hero to me because he's willing to do something radical for the kingdom of God. And yes, there's risk involved, but there's risk involved in taking a shower. You can slip and break your neck in a shower. So let's just don't, all right. So let's, let's make sure the Bible lifts up heroes that are warriors of a different kind. They're people that, like he's going to mention in a moment, Job, that we look to as a hero because he endured more than any other human being has ever endured except for Jesus Christ, and he didn't give up. He's, he fought in a war that's more real, realer, than the war that's going on in Ukraine right now. Why is it realer, Jamie? Well, because the consequences, you can fight in that war and any war, and you can get killed. You can get wounded. But you fight in the war that Job fought in and the one that we're fighting in, you get killed, you lose your soul. You're not talking about just your physical life. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about perspective of importance between an earthly battle that can cause physical harm and a spiritual war that can destroy body, soul, and mind and rob you of your relationship with God. That's what's at stake in the battle that we're in. I wasn't aware of that when I gave my heart to Jesus. I thought everybody would be happy. I started talking to, about Jesus to my friends. They weren't happy. They didn't want to hear about it, especially from me. I, all of a sudden, I started getting attacked. I'm like, wait a minute. I gave my heart to Jesus. I wanted life to get better. Well, it did in a lot of ways. I had peace and joy in the Lord. But all of a sudden, I had these attacks and temptations and things thrown my way. And it's like, I'm in a real battle here. So James is writing to people that are in a real battle. And he says, I want you to have the right heroes. 
I want you to look at the right role models. I want you to look at people that have stood the test morally, that have character that don't give up. Now, I read a book in high school called Winners Never Quit and Quitters Never Win by Vince Lombardi. It was my team back then, the Green Bay Packers. He was the coach. They were the, the, the first and second Super Bowl winner. And, but his thesis in the book was no matter how good you are at anything, if you quit, you'll never be all that you were meant to be. Now, that can apply far more than just a physical sports analogy, but it applies spiritually because the opposite of enduring is quitting. And Job is going to be held up by James as our example of someone who has endured. So let's look at chapter 5, verse 11. He says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered or endured. You've heard of Job's perseverance or endurance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, let me just, let's just unpack this a little bit here. James knows the story. He's trying to hold up a hero, a, a, a flawed hero. There are people that say in commentaries that I get the joy of reading and they, they say, why would James pick Job as an example of perseverance or endurance? Because when you read Job, he is a mess. And understandably, he gets angry. He's flawed. His person, he fell down many times. He wanted, he prayed that he'd never been born. How's that a good example? You know why it's a good example? Because it's real. It's real. I can't relate to people that never struggle, never fail, never. Have. That's why we talk about the power of ugly in this church. You know, I, and, and, and my wife and I model this. We teach, teach our team to model it. You know, I was talking to a group of men the other day, and they were, we were celebrating some spiritual victories they'd had. And it was coming across like that victory represented every area of their life. And I know them, and I, I wasn't trying to put anybody down, but I said, you had a powerful victory in that area. But that doesn't mean you've got victory in every area. And if you're not careful how it comes across this, I just gave my problems to Jesus and he took them all and hallelujah, I don't have any problems. Well, that's just not true. It's not reality. We all struggle. We all have flesh. Job was no different. He had a type of endurance you could call ugly endurance. And what makes it wonderful is it's not that he never fell down. It's just that he never gave up. It's not that he didn't get mad, but he got mad to God not at God. There's a difference. He, he never stopped praying. He never, and though his prayers were passionate, sometimes, whoa, Joe, be careful. You know, getting in God's face. God never got mad at him. Now, they wasn't that he liked all of it, but just God deals with honesty. Instead of someone says, oh God, you're so wonderful. And, and inside you're thinking, my life is a mess. And it's, a, it's just what you're, you're doing a terrible job with me. God, I just want to praise you and, and just give you thanks today because the pastor called on me to pray. And I just, you know, really inside I'm ticked off. I haven't read the Bible. I, I, I love it when I call on someone to pray and they say, you know, I, you know, I haven't talked to God in quite a while. I'm not ready to do it right now. That's what, you know, God goes, yeah, that's the person I want praying for me. I don't want the, yeah, of course I'll pray in the name of Jesus. And they plug in a tape in their head and it's not a heart thing. And, and God's call to us is to emulate Job, not that he's perfect. It's not perfect endurance, 
But it's endurance that said, you can knock me down, but I'm not going to give up on my God. He gave up on himself. He gave up on his friends. He never gave up on his God. He gave up on himself. He gave up. I can't do this. It's too hard. You're going to come to a point in your walk with Jesus. If you haven't thus far, I'm not trying to put some whammy on you. I'm just telling you, you're going to come to a place where it's like, God, help. I just, I can't do this on my own. God will say, you never were meant to do it on your own. God was with Job in this endurance, though Job was unaware of it. God was giving him grace and strength. It's like I go back to Miriam, the lady that prayed for us to get to Sanibel, and then when God started doing things in the church, she prayed us through some horrible trials. And I think of the people over the years that have prayed for us and, and loved us in the kingdom of God. Most people wouldn't look at them and go, they're, they're powerful people or they're, they're, they're a spiritual saint because they're not on TV. They don't have a book. They don't have, they're just warriors in the kingdom. They're people who have been faithful, that have stood the test. I, I'll tell you, one of my heroes in the church is Pastor Jason. And, and he, he, he's learned endurance as a young man. He, he had his daddy died at a young age, one of my dear friends, and an elder in the church. But not only that, but we went through a hard time in this church, and most of all of our young adults left, but him and his wife, and then they were shunned by all of their friends that they'd grown up with, because why? Their, you know what their sin was? They were loyal to my wife and I. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's paying a price for where you are in life. They didn't get there because of special privileges. They've gone through the fires. And see, to me, a young leader that's gone through the fire is better than an old leader that's got a lot of head knowledge. God's looking for character. Character is formed in the fire. You're not going to skip steps. Life's hard, and Job is our model. So now James says, don't miss this. He says, here's what Job was blessed. Why? Because he never quit. That doesn't mean he didn't fall on his face and want to quit. That didn't mean he didn't think about quitting. That didn't mean he didn't talk about quitting. There's a big difference between wanting to quit, thinking about quitting, talking about quitting, and quitting. You can talk about it all, just don't quit. He kept coming back to Jesus. I'm going to quit. I'm going to, can't do it anymore. I, go, I understand him. I relate. I get it. Job, no, I, if I was in your place, I'd have quit days before, weeks before. But he didn't quit because his faith clung to God. He said, you can have my faith when you peel it out of my cold, dead hand. Do you feel that way about your faith or your Glock? <laughs> Just saying. In America, it's much more about the Glock. I want it to be about it. I want our kids with what they have to face in the days ahead that's unknown. They need a, a faith like Job's. Job endured the fire so he could get on the other side, and God blessed him. Now look what James says. Don't miss this. James says we've heard about his endurance, and we've seen. He's kind of playing on what it said. Job said in, in chapter 42, the end of the book, I've heard about the Lord and I'm now seeing him. There's this deeper app apprehension of, or, or, uh, is that the right word? Appre anyway, uh, deeper understanding of, of Job's 
experience here. He says, we've seen God's blessed him, but there's something more there. He said, we've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, that's a, it's an awkward thing to translate here, and I, I don't want to lose you. It's not technical, but, but what the Lord finally, it's really three words. It's the end for the end of the Lord. The word end is the word telos. It means the com- consummation of something, the purpose of something being fully reached, the intention, the goal. In other words, James is saying, I, I have an understanding that Job didn't, that there was a, an end in view, a telos of the Lord. In fact, if you'll throw up an older version, the King James Version, it brings it out a little clearer. And, and the King James, uh, because it's important to get this because it'll unlock the whole book for you. If you'll, it's not that profound, but it's radically profound. It's just, it's not like some secret mystery. But James says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job, you've seen the telos of the Lord. The, in other words, you've seen that when God's up to something, how it's going to end. Not the telos of Job. Not to tell us of Jamie, but the end that the Lord had intended, the consummation. It's, yes, it, it involves the rewards and the blessings of Job, but it's more than that. God knew that Job could never understand him had he not, of, of the way he did after the test, had he not gone through the test. Job didn't know that. The end that the Lord had in view was Job's going to have a new revelation of me. I'm going to open my heart to him in ways that you could never know if you didn't hurt and suffer and go through a hard time. You know, one of the the things that in the end of the Lord, he says that. He says, you've seen the end of the Lord, that. In other words, here's the the, the summation. Here's Here's the revelation. The end is not just that he got his sheep back and he got his camels back. It's not just that he got his money back and his friends back. It's not just that he had new kids. It's this. You've seen the end of the Lord, that. In other words, this is, this is the, 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 the thing that Job came to that God wants us to come to, that the Lord is very pitiful. That's not a great transition and of tender mercy. Let's go back to the NIV now. Uh, get the word that there or, or, in the NIV. The Lord finally brought about. He finally, the end, the telos of the Lord is that the Lord is full of compassion. You ever heard, you know the phrase, hey, he's really full of it. I taught him that one time in a Spanish culture. We were teaching some youth some euphemisms. You know, like it's raining like cats and dogs. They wanted to learn that. And so I, I looked at one of the, the Spanish boys and I said, he's full of, you know, and I said it. And they're like, what does that mean? They're all looking at me like, what is that, you know? And so I explained it in Spanish the best I could. And, he, and they go, oh, he's full of, and they all knew he really was in that term of the thing. Anyway, so just to, this is the opposite of what, this verse doesn't mean that. If you thought that's where I was going, no. I was like, oh no, where's he going? He, he's going to say a bad word, Mom. Cover your ears. Cover the children's ears. And they've never heard you say anything. No, no. No, just, I don't want the pastor should be above that. He should be, a, he should know those words. He should not have even, 
So James <laughs> makes up a whole new word. He creates a word. He's like, I can't, I can't come up with a word that I know of. And he's arguably the best Greek writer out of any of the New Testament writers. So he comes up on this, how am I going to tell him what the end of Job, how am I going to tell him what the whole book of Job is, uh, uh, pull back, what's the word, and he comes up with this word, it's a compound word in the Greek, the first part of it means large, great, abundance, lots of, and the second word means guts. It, it, it's their word for, you ever saw someone, uh, you know, he's got guts, or, or it meant the liver, the, the lungs, and the heart. It, it was the, the organs that were essential. He, basically, James is saying God's got an enlarged, unbelievably big heart. Now, that's not what most people come to the book of Job with. They're like, well, if God loved him, why did he let him go through? In fact, it looks like God might have started the fight. And that's not true, but the devil already wanted to put his arms on him and kill him. But God just said, I believe in my boy. And he, well, if God's so big-hearted, and it's, listen to me, listen to me. This is where it'll help you. It's not just God became really nice at the end of the book. He had a change of heart. Job suffered, died, his kids have died, worms in his skin. He felt abandoned by God. His friends have accused him falsely. Blah, 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 blah. They see that as God being harsh or hard or mean or stern or cruel. But then at the end, God just gets nice. But that misses the whole point of the story is that in God's kindness, he wants what's best for Job. And what's best for Job is not intervention at that moment. What's best for Job is not relief from his suffering. It's strength to get through his suffering. And there's a difference. Our prayers don't always relieve suffering. Sometimes they do. Hallelujah. Sometimes they just enable us to go through the suffering and see it transformed into something at the end that's beautiful. In this case, God suffered while his son suffered. We've talked about that in this series, but this is what the end of the Lord, the Lord had a purpose in mind that made him wait in pain. How hard is it when you know somebody that you love is suffering and you have the ability to relieve that suffering? And you know that it's not best for them to relieve that suffering. You know, the best story I've ever heard that illustrates this to me, I read years ago, a little book that got me through uh, my single years and in seminary was called Streams in the Desert. It was a compilation of, of quiet times of devotions by a, a lady named Cowan, Mrs. Cowan. Beautiful book. If you ever you want to read a good devotional, uh, one for each day. But she told this one story of this boy or girl, I can't remember, that they had a, a little caterpillar that they had kept and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for the caterpillar to bust loose. And uh, what's that word? Uh, me is it metamorphosis? Metamorphosis and become a butterfly. So finally the day came and she, you know, she or he's waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And, and a, a wing comes out. <laughs> right out this tiny little hole. And it's like this incredibly beautiful butterfly wing. Tears are in her eyes. And it's like, yes. But then 
he can't get the other wing out. He's stuck, apparently. And just struggling and struggling. So finally, out of compassion, she takes a little tiny razor blade and just tiny slit in the, the hole. And as soon as she did, the other wing went plopped out without any fluid in it, no strength. It never could fly. It was completely uh, ruined. Because the, the, the part of the process was the pressure. The, the squeezing through the hole squeezed the body juices out of the body of the worm, the caterpillar, into the wings and the body of the butterfly, and the pressure was needed. The pressure was required. It's not fun. And it's grueling to watch. And when you have the power to solve something, to alleviate the pain, but you have to wait, that's our Father. Because He has the brilliance and the genius wisdom to know the perfect timing, to know when to alleviate, when to cause there to be a time of waiting. When, when you're crying out, God fix this, God change this, God stop this, God help this. And the enemy's screaming, He's not listening. Nothing's happening. No, there's something happening. Your juice is being squeezed into your wings because God wants Job to fly. God wants Job to be the man that he's called him to be that he can't be if God intervenes before it's time to intervene. James says there's an end in view. The telos of the kurios, the, the end of the Lord. What is the end? Well, the end in the story wasn't the end. It's the end of that part of the story, which helps us to see all suffering has an end to it. There's no such thing as eternal suffering to a believer. If you're suffering now and the devil says you'll never get better, it's a demonic lie. Your suffering is going to end by God's intervention, alleviating it now, or when you go to be with Jesus. Now, that may sound, well, Jamie, that's, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know another option. You cannot alleviate all the suffering in the world in the name that God loves the world because God has an end in view, a bigger end than Job's end. God has an end in view with Job. Let me, let me show you where Job ends up. Remember, he lives 140 years longer. This God that's full of compassion, he blesses his life, lives 140 years longer. But, you know, during that time, he had to have more heartache. He had 10 more kids. You don't think he didn't have heartache with those kids? He had three beautiful daughters. You don't think he wanted to hurt somebody? Come on. He had a, that doesn't mean life just got easy. Job graduated. Yeah. No, no. But let me tell you where Job ended up. Just in closing here, I want you to look with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I mean, this is just so cool to me, is that the end of the Lord... It's never just about this life. You ever heard someone say, well, they, they, they died so soon. They, 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 their life was unfinished. And, and that could be. I, I don't think any of our lives are ever finished here. I think we're full of things inside of us that are a prophecy of an unfinished life that will finish in eternity. And if you think we're going to be bored and retired in heaven and just sit around and fish and 
you know, whatever you like to do is a stupid hobby. You know, it just, no, we're going to be conquering other, other galaxies. We're going to be on missions from God. God's a God of, of he's, he's a God of adventure and creation and redemption. I don't know, but we're not going to be lazy. We're not going to, there's a reward for those that endure. That's what Job was an example of. But here's Job in the real reward. In Revelation 7, this is the marking of the 144,000, and I'm not going to get off on that, but I do not take them as literal uh, number. It's symbolic of the army of God, but that's another story. Verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. You mean America's not it? Let me help you. God doesn't love America any more than he loves the Congo. You better get that down if you're going to be a kingdom person. That doesn't mean he doesn't love America. It means he loves every country, tribe, and nation. And he's blessed us, yes, but that could go away real quick. In other countries, they didn't ask to be raped for years like the Congo were by the, the king of Belgium, King Leopold, raped them, cut their arms off, had, had Mr. Great Stanley get them to produce rubber and if they didn't work hard enough, he cut their arms off. I've got books where there's piles of arms cut off by the Dutch and, and oppressing. And then America comes along and we, we take out one of their leaders, Mobutu. And we just, we begin to rape them. We don't cut arms off. We just raped them financially. Raped them. Never built any infrastructure. The Dutch didn't. The Americans didn't. And now the Chinese are there. And they're just raping them again. You can say, well, they're bad. No, we're bad. It's, it's just, it's that we have a world that's broken and flawed and needs Jesus. And there's no, America's not like, well, we got a few steps ahead of everybody else. No, we don't. You think the church in America is stronger than the church in China? The church in China that to go to church on Easter could cost some people prison, could cost them their life. And we're like, I don't know what I'm going to wear. <laughs> we, we, you know, we got just, ah. So John sees this vision. Every tribe every tongue, every people, every language. You mean they're not speaking English in heaven? No, it's every language. Standing before the throne of the Lamb and they were wearing white robes. No flag of their country. They're wearing the flag of the kingdom, the blood of Jesus that washes our robes and makes them white. They'll be, they'll be dark skin, brown skin, white skin, every color skin, but we'll all be wearing the same robe. We won't all look alike in heaven. Thank God. Just because I mentioned Congo, I was, I, I'd been there and, and I literally uh, got, got really got food poisoning. And I mean, I don't know if I was close to dying. I felt like it. And that's a whole nother story. But while I was, uh, and you don't want the whole story. So it didn't end well on one level. So it wasn't a good end as Job had. But anyway, so, but it ended, ended after that good. 
So while I'm laying there thinking I'm dying, I have a vision. And I've seen these African Congolese woman, women dressed in their African dress with the beauty of the colors and their dark skin. And I saw this vision. Like it was like, like this long, 1,001, 1,002, gone. And I saw this vision of this African women choir. And they had their, their dress, their tribal dress, and their head dress. And the colors were just like, wow. I literally laid in bed and said, God, why did you make me white? I'm so boring. I'm white bread. You can put any color on me you want. It just fades away. I had this deep sadness. I'm telling you this truth. God loves diversity. God loves the nations. God loves our differences. God loves his kingdom because it's one king under Jesus that we bow to. Now in this crowd, it says that they're standing there in white robes and they're holding palm branches. Where do they get palms from? Cape Coral, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Beamed them up. Maybe there's this trees before the new heavens and earth. I don't know, but you know what? God showed me a revelation. I saw Job standing there in the crowd. You know those pictures where you see like this giant crowd and they zoom in and they circle, you know, there was this person. I saw in my mind Job standing there with a palm open and there's millions of people, but there's this little circle. There's Job. I don't know what he looked like. He looked like the ugly priest picture. No, he didn't. He just, it was just Job in a palm frond because that's the end of the Lord. Job hadn't seen the end yet. Even when he saw the restoration, he hadn't seen his kids that had died. Now he's seeing his kids that have died and he's waiting on the rest of us for resurrection. And that's when the end is the end. Let me just tell you this. God gets the last word. James says, listen, if you get anything out of the book of Job, understand that there's a God that's so full of compassion. His heart is so large that James had to make up a word for it. Job discovered it. And when he looked back on his trial, he realized God had been there all the time with his arms around him, though he didn't feel it, crying over him when he couldn't see it, loving on him when he didn't believe it. God was good to him in the darkest moments. God was kind to him, and it's the goodness of God that took him through the fire. It's the kindness of God that kept a hold of Job and brought him through to the other side. James says, don't miss the end, the telos. God had a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan with an end in view. It's going somewhere. Where is it? I don't know. It's somewhere good. Not easy. Job's a hero. Let him be a hero to you as he draws you to Jesus, the one he worshipped. Because they all, I, I, there's got to be a special place for Job. I mean, he suffered as no human being has ever suffered. None, with the lack of any resources and friends, except for Jesus, who suffered the most. And he's the one we worship. He's the one that deserves our trust when we can't understand. Book of Job doesn't end with any answers. No secrets, no mysteries solved. No, oh, that's why they're suffering. No, it ends with a big-hearted God that loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a big-hearted God. 
Job is a book that pulls back the curtains on the big-hearted father that suffered waiting and not reaching in before the time when it was the right time. So trust him. Don't give up crying out to him. If Job teaches us anything, it's keep crying out to the God. Even when you're angry, keep crying out. Even when you want to quit, keep crying out. Even when it doesn't feel like God's listening, keep crying out. Endure. Because the option is quitting if you don't endure. And when you quit, you don't get to the blessing. You don't get to the end and receive the blessing. You miss what God intended. And some of you have gone from quitting this to quitting this to quitting this to quitting this. At some point, you're going to have to stay in something and stick it out and get on the other side of it. You don't know until you stay with it. Stop quitting. Stop running. People do it with churches all the time. People do it in marriages. People do it in jobs. I mean, it just, it's, it's just this. Again, it's not wrong to change. That's not what I'm saying as far as job and things like that. But don't be a quitter. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up ultimately. Cling to God like Job did. He was weak, flawed, imperfect, but his faith never quit. You can fall on your face. You can want to give up. You can say, God, I'm going to give up. But hang on, because he won't let go. Amen? Let's pray. He's a big-hearted father. Let's pray together. You know, the Lord has an end in view for you, but you may not be on that path for that end. You may not have said yes to him to want his end. You don't want your end. You don't want your purpose. You don't want your vision, your dream. You want God's because he knows what will be best for you. Not the easiest path, but the best path. You say, what do I do, Jamie, to get on his path? Well, first, you make him Lord of your life. And that's what happened. Job had to come to the place where he fully trusted God with all of his being without any understanding of why he had to trust him. You have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give you all of me. Not demanding answers or even that God would fix things, but just that you need him in your life and invite him. He's right here, right now. Just like Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they laid those palm branches down, he's King Jesus here this morning. He's right beside you waiting for you to say, Lord, I need you in my life. Just ask him right where you're seated. Online, just take a moment and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Just ask him. You move from what Job said, I've heard about you. Now I know you. I've seen you. You're going to move from, I, I'm, I'm known of religiously known about Jesus, but I've never known him personally. So just invite him right now. Father, bless this time of ministry, and as we come to baptize these folks, let it just be an outpouring of your spirit. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.